Left India, 1969. London bound to join my parents who'd left us with family in Kerala. My parents always called Kerala home. The same home as in London. Same word, different meaning. I always knew instantly which it was. So we'd go home on holiday to Kerala and then we'd go back home to London. I live in Edinburgh now, but Kerala is still home. Hello, hello and welcome to another episode of Shedcast, brought to you by Putting It Together. It's Brian O'Sullivan here and we're on day, what are we on, day three, day four of uh, the Shedinburgh Fringe Festival. What an exciting thing it's been. It's, um, I mean, it's hard even to quantify because it's so, it's so different from anything I've ever been involved in. And yet it somehow is managing to capture some of the feeling of the Edinburgh Fringe, which is such a, such a unique um experience as any of you who've experienced it will know um that I, I didn't think it was possible but here we are and we're getting a sort of sense of some of the some of the frantic energy but also some of the excitement of just what are we going to see next um and this amazing lineup i mean how they've done it i don't know that's that's been nothing to do with me i'm just delighted to be on the sidelines getting a chance to talk to these amazing people um, what a tremendous lineup it is. So today I'm bringing you uh, an interview with Annie George, who I spoke to um, yesterday. Yesterday? <laughs> I'm so confused what day it is. Uh, yes, I spoke to you yesterday and you had a chance to see her show last night, Fragments of Home. Beautiful, moving performance. And I really felt like, I, I felt really privileged to be able to speak to her and get that sort of extra extra detail really around it um which i think for me definitely added to to what i got out of the performance so i hope that that, that's the same for you having seen it last night and um to be able now to sit back and listen to annie's um, background information on it she talks a bit about family and her upbringing and it's beautiful and actually one of the things i said to when we when we came off air was just how wonderful i think her voice is and i know that you as a podcast listener will appreciate that because so much of the podcast experience is actually listening to voices and appreciating you know the subtleties of each voice um, I'm really aware of that and I think um, this is not as a medium um, podcasting has all that wrapped up in it so it's yes it's about content but also the presentation of it has become um, an art form in and of itself it's different from radio and it's different from any other medium that we know of um it's gained its own kind of um style so with that in mind i hope you'll enjoy listening not only to what annie has to say but also to her really beautiful voice um and i hope i'm not too forward in saying that because i do notice voices when i sit across from people anyway um i thoroughly enjoyed watching her show as well and i think i mean the great thing about it is it's so different from what we've had already in the in the run of the Shedinburgh Fringe um, and just a very a very understated style of storytelling but as she says in the interview she talks about the, the way she writes having a having a rhythm to it and as soon as she started performing I knew exactly what she meant um, in the sense that it would be difficult and it would be um, anathema to the to the piece to ad lib you know so she really was keen to you know some some people shows you could you could ad lib if, if something went wrong and many people I'm sure do and do it valiantly um with Annie's piece it was so important that she did it exactly as planned because you'll you'll see it or you'll have you'll have seen it 
and heard it. The rhythm of the of the writing is really important. And there's even I don't know if anyone picked up on this, but there's even some little internal rhymes I felt. Um and I'm sure I'm sure it's deliberate, but it was quite subtle. Anyway, I really enjoyed it for those reasons because I'm I'm a bit of a fan of, you know, performance poetry and that type spoken word, you know, and I I felt it did have elements of that in it. Um a gorgeous performance, really moving. So I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you enjoy um, hearing me talk to her, which you're about to. Now, first of all, I need to let you know a little bit about what's coming up. Tomorrow, um, the episode will be on tonight's show. Tonight's show is Team Viking by James Rowland. And uh, I'm speaking to him about that very soon. And you'll be able to hear it tomorrow at midday. Um, So coming up after that, we've got Casey J with the Archive of Uneducated Hearts. We've got Woke by Afia Campbell and Meredith Yarbrough. And then it goes on and on. And it's all very exciting. I'm I'm doing one day at a time because to me it's so exciting. Um, and also it's it's quite a lot of work. So I'm kind of like right, okay, I'll just I'll just do it today, and then let tomorrow take care of itself. So tonight you can catch Team Viking by James Rowland at at 7:30 p.m. Remember that the booking is only open till I think it's half past three, or it might have been extended to four o'clock today, which isn't much uh, time from now. So there are limited spaces. And also, like I've been saying, th- these performances are only shown once. You can't pause them, you can't rewind them, and you can't download them. So the ephemerality, which we're so used to in theatre, is very much present in this festival. So remember that. that it's only happening once. If you want to see it, you book now. You go to shedinburgh.com. If you click on Schedule, uh, you can see everything that's on. And of course, you can click on Tickets for the the performance you want to see and you can donate it's a minimum of four pounds and we're asking that you donate whatever you can afford um whatever you think it's worth you know and on that note if you think this podcast is worth something then please consider supporting it too it doesn't have to cost you much but i really appreciate your help because trips like these um to do this series for you um they're expensive and totally worthwhile um but because of the way things are with coronavirus and so on um many of the other income streams of mine have been uh, cancelled or at least postponed so if you could consider contributing something to keep this podcast going which i want to do for you um then please do go to puttingittogethercast.com click the yellow donate button and you can give as much or as little as you like you can do a monthly donation some people buy me the equivalent of a coffee every month some people put in a bit more some people do a one-off donation when they when they feel like it and it's all appreciated and it's all going directly back into the podcast to keep it going um the donations that we've had recently have gone straight into this trip so I'm staying in Edinburgh, that's got a cost <laughs> attached to it, and uh, there's no payment for me making these podcasts, so that is, uh, I'm doing it, you know, for the love, but also so that we can make this podcast bigger and better than ever, so any help is appreciated with that. Anyway, I'll stop banging on about that, because now I want to bring you my interview with Annie George about her piece, Fragments of Home. So here we are, it's me and Annie George, and we are putting it together. I wasn't expecting to be doing the Fringe this year, so it's a bit of a shock all round. <laughs> when did you find out you were doing this? Last week. Oh, God. And when was the last time you had done this show? Oh, it's a different version of the show, isn't it, you're doing? Uh, it, it certainly is. It's undergone several <laughs> several different <laughs> versions. Um, and another quick cut last night as well. Well, okay. it wasn't a cut, actually. I put stuff back in. Um, that is one of the problems... Um, 
with being the writer, you can do that sort of stuff. Um, It's both a blessing and a curse, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose that's the beauty of theatre, because you can wing it to a certain extent, but I don't know, my writing's a bit strange in the way that um, it's quite crafted, and I I write things in a specific way, um, and there's a rhythm to it. So uh, if I start adding ad-libs in um it kind of takes the balance out um but i don't know i suppose it's because if i'm performing it then i feel that i have the liberty to do what the hell i want but if you put my words in somebody else's mouth then i get really cross with actors because i know all the tricks and i know when they're searching for lines and making stuff up because i can't remember the lines and stuff like that so so yeah, it's probably just as well I'm doing my own stuff. <laughs> well, well, we all know that a mile off, don't we? When you see your friend searching for a line, you think, yeah, I know what you're up to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've had to kind of relearn a new version of this in the last week then? Yeah, I mean, I the show's about 65 minutes long usually, and I, but it's got uh, projections and props and... Although it's a solo show and it's quite a small, intimate show, uh, personal story, you know, I do move about the stage a bit as much as I can at my age. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, so so the prospect of doing it in the shed without all the bells and whistles made me think, well, you know, how am I going to be able to do it and sort of keep the integrity of the production so I sort of thought I'd cut it a bit mm-hmm. and there's always a bit of me resisting giving everything away as well so yeah I cut out a little bit of the story but I think there's just enough to tantalize and uh well I hope so we'll find out <laughs> so that people would still want to see the full version of it perhaps well, I suppose so, but but it's also partly because you know the it's the balance between just the story, which is a great story, I think, but you know sometimes uh, you know the, the 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 theatrical stuff it just um, increases the impact dramatically, and you kind of somehow don't want to lessen it. Of course, yeah, yeah. Well, you have all those elements in place, and for a reason. Yeah. Um. So, so I thought I would um. I I would cut it to like half an hour, thirty five minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, um, yeah. Last night I thought I could just stick this back in. <laughs> it's come back up again. <laughs> yeah, and I have I have included. Oh, we've got some uh, live action. Um, film uh, in it as well and I have managed to add that in as well um, right so um so so it'd be different um, yeah yeah but that's I mean that can be disconcerting I think if you do something a certain way especially if it's your own thing and it's I mean how much of it is your own experience when you say story mm. how much of it is your experience and how much is invented or written I mean it's all essentially true um I've the the um the story is about 
my search to find out more about my grandfather, who I never met because he died 20 years before I was born. Mm. And a certain story had been handed down in the family. and but But it didn't really tell me anything about the person he was. It just told me when he lived, when he died, where he went, you know, what his achievements were. The things that they thought were important and that's all that was handed down. And I thought, well, I want to know who this person is because I felt such a connection to him because in my family, there being from an Indian background, um, the um, onus is on, you know, getting an education, getting work that brings an income to, you know, look after your family. And I thought that was just, you know, one of the traditional Indian kind of cultural things. Mm. Um, but when I found out about my family, uh, the story uh, of of not only my grandfather, but what happened to the family afterwards, I, I knew why it was really important, you know. And it, so it went beyond the stereotype of the hardworking Indian. Sure. Um, but what really... But what I had grew up, um, I suppose, resenting in a way was because I was an artist, because I was so not a scientist or a, an engineer or, or a business person. Mm. Um, and I, you know, and I was clearly going to be an artist. You know, I just wasn't given any encouragement. In fact, I was discouraged. And, you know, I kind of resented it. And yet... Um, because my grandfather had been a writer, there was a kind of um, mystique about him, possibly because he died young. Yeah. But, you know, they kind of revered him and the fact that he wrote. And I just thought, well, I don't get that. You know, why, why do you sort of revere one person for doing that and then you want to push somebody else into doing something that's just going to get them a, a good job? Um, so, so I always felt connected to him, but I kind of, you know, and I didn't know what he wrote and I, I didn't know what my parents or my family th thought about his writing, you know, and yeah. I wanted to see some, but there was hardly anything that survived. Uh, and the reasons why, um, come out in the story in the, in the, in the play. So... Yeah, so so that's that's what set me off on the journey. So what I had was very little to work with in terms of finding out who my grandfather was, but there was one poem that he had left uh, that had survived, and when I got it translated, it gave me the clues that I wanted um, because he died two years before Indian independence, and I was really, I really wanted to know what his political views are because my family aren't terribly political in that sense although I come from a place where it's very sort of well I mean it's had a communist government since a freely elected communist government since the 50s mm. and uh, and I think only one period um, in maybe the 80s or something where it it, um, it was ruled by the Congress Party International Congre Congress Party um, and so I thought you know, it's it's quite a political place, and I just thought, well, you know, what were his views? And it was important to me because I thought, well, if he turned out to be a right wing, 
yeah, you yeah. know, nationalist, um, then that's a bit unfortunate. Yeah, changes everything. Don't identify with that. No. So, um, so yeah. So it was really interesting that. So what I had to do is I had to read between the lines, and then construct his speech. You know, so so I don't know whether he said what he said, but I all I know is the clues that I had and and I used a lot of historical research to see what was going on at the time because there is a lot of information about Indian independence usually told from the British perspective but um but it's uh, uh, but what there is 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 much more on the level of you know Gandhi and you know the leaders Nehru um who makes an appearance in my play um you know and what the leaders were doing uh, you know in in the north of India, um, but Kerala was kind of different in terms of their relationship with the British, because they were kind of there was a buffer between um, the Kerala people and a Kerala's um, the very south of India, the, mm -hmm. the very southern tip, um, and there was a buffer between them and the British because um, Kerala as a state didn't exist at that time and it was um, a group of uh, three principalities and so the princes or the, the Maharajas they did deals with the British so they would um, tax the people and then they would pay off the British so you know there was a there was a Oh, it it wasn't the same kind of relationship as in the rest of India. Yeah, yeah. So, um, which was really interesting to to look at. But um, you know, I didn't have very long to to um, write the play. I never do. It's never enough time. <laughs> no, that's true. That's always true. I think. <laughs> so, um, so I had to kind of dig down to find the nuggets that are needed yeah. around this time and then there was also in the family there was talk about how he had he had gone off to he, I mean he was endlessly studying my grandfather I mean he was a teacher um, for his occupation and then he would go off and study at college and then come back and go back to teaching and uh, and all that and there was um, there was a story that when he, he'd gone off to do um, uh, his studies in Trivandrum, which is now called something else, a very long name. Um, it was the capital of of Kerala, and there was a, um, the Government Arts College was there, the Maharaja's College, um, where uh, you could learn. Um, you know, you, you did the arts, and he went and studied Sanskrit and. Um, old form of Malayalam um, which were the languages that the great poems and epics were written in oh, right. and at the time um, poets were the rock stars of the day and there was a story that when he was studying in Trivandrum he was studying with um, a guy called Changampura Krishnapillai who was what they called a Mahakavi um, I hope I've got the pronunciation right for that. That would be shocking if I didn't. But um, and a Mahakavi is somebody who it, it's a little bit like a poet laureate. But there were loads of them, um, or more of them. Um, but really, what you had to do was you had to write an epic poem, 
and that had to be approved as a proper epic oh, right. um, by the Academy of Writing or, or I think I can't remember what it's called but there's a sort of kind of yep. governing panel who decide whether you've qualified as a, a, a you know as an epic writer and Mahakavi translates as great poet and so there was one called um, uh, CKP I call him for short okay that's fine <laughs> I can live with that um, so who was who was um, who was really really popular and, um, and he was a bit of a hedonist and he died young as well um, TB I think um, but he uh, he he was supposed to have gone to college uh at the same time as my grandfather and um i found out i i read the biography of jangpura um but apparently couldn't have been with with him at college but he definitely did know him because my grandfather compiled and uh, there was one book or oh, there's two books that survived um of my grandfather's and one was a poetry anthology and my grandfather had written to all the great poets of the time and asked them all for one poem each to put in this volume wow. so he'd written to Changpura and I think he gave him an outtake you know one of his, one of just something yeah crappy poems. <laughs> yeah here's a scribble for you but I think it's the only place that it's been published and that you know and um I think it, recently actually probably in the last 10 years there's been a complete revival of ckp's work mm -hmm. and nobody's nobody's done anything to to um kind of say hey hey we've got one here you know um the lost one or yeah. the mystery poem yeah <laughs> so but anyway but uh but it was it was it was just a nice thing and so ckp appears in the 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 show um, how amazing so there was a, there was an uptake for the arts at the time of your grandfather but what it was still sort of frowned upon or well i mean you had the sort of more traditional arts and then you had the the poetry you know because uh, and the way they did it was like i mean obviously you didn't get grants and stuff like that but it was like um the poets would have to they would have to have get patrons so mm -hmm. you know often they'd be the the rajas the maharajas and and you know so they would um i get i guess they would kind of um you know write poems for certain occasions and yeah. then they do their own stuff and there were literary journals um as as there is now um and and i suppose you know so, so some of the stuff that my grandfather says it's it's more me considering the information that I've learned you sort know, of to imagine what he might what have kind of a world he yeah, was in yeah. you know and it, and thinking about what his motivations were yeah you know because I can't say what they are you know I can only guess from what he did but what he did was so unusual for people you know because we lived we live in a rural we live um uh, my my uh birthplace is really rural it's mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere and at that time you know i was thinking also that you know people didn't have transport really um and kerala is one of the most beautiful places you can imagine i mean it's like paradise um and 
there's a lot of water there's um loads of streams and rivers i mean it's such a sort of um fertile place um and so you know people often traveled by the river um and as i say in my play hardly anyone even had a bullock cart you know and i mean there was a bus service but you had to go to the main town and that was across the river and you'd go across the river by raft and stuff like that and so um and you know and it's it's there are places that are still you know like that um although it's much more industrialized and modern now and i kind of don't like it <laughs> i know it's kind of you, you, sad but to progress yeah yeah of course yeah but how far away then would would the capital be where the arts college was well i can't remember what the distance is but i mean it's about two hours two hours in the car maybe oh so it was a fair old so would he have do we know would he have moved from where where the family was to live near the college or something well he would have had to get lodgings um, because he wouldn't have been able to travel and they were really really poor so and of course when he gave up his job you know you know he would he would stop teaching and they would just have to deal with it you know but I mean you know they we grow our own food and and I guess that you know, I mean, I've seen how people uh, behave, um, you know, when I'm over there and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, people, you know, the, there's everybody's got somewhere to, to grow something, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so a lot of food is grown or, or you trade it with your neighbours, you know, I'll give you a couple of mangoes if you give, give me a couple of eggs, do you know. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a lot of that going on. Um, so... Uh, I mean it's fairly sustainable and there's always been something really kind of neighbourly and community orientated in Kerala I found that to a certain extent people looked after each other you know there were people that had mental health problems or were really poor and you know um, but but usually people would share you know um and you know, and sometimes you know, sometimes you'd have relations that are, are much poorer than you, and you would help them out, and um, so so there was a kind of a, a kind of community spirit, I suppose, that meant that you could keep going. Yeah, and it and it's and again, I say it in the in the piece. You know, when I came, I was the first generation. I came over when I was four, and. The, what we saw on TV or in books and things like that resembled nothing like what I knew. I didn't know the rest of India, but what I knew was lush and green and plenty sure, yeah. and beautiful. And I was just like, but you're not describing anything, you know, um, that I recognize, you know, so I didn't get, I didn't get all the racism and I didn't get the you're different from us it's like yeah because you lived in a gray cold place (laughs) and i didn't you know so in my head i've got got pictures that they've never seen you know um yeah people have really no concept of what you what you've come from yeah but did you have an idea of what you were going to no no because i came over when i was four yeah of course but would you remember what what were you told or what was the plan i don't know um I don't know. I well, I was left with my grandparents for two years actually. So mm-hmm. my parents went ahead, but they didn't think they were going to have to go for that long before they could send for me. Uh, it, it, you know, as me and my sister, I only talk about my story in 
the play because um, one of the things that I say in the play is I talk about ownership of stories and mm-hmm. um, you know I didn't want to tell my sister's story because it's quite different um, from mine. Yeah, fair enough. You know, so so I kind of kept it to my story, but me and my sister were left uh, with my grandparents for two years, and we came over uh, two years later to join my parents, but. Um, we um, we were so young, and um, you know we were sent on our own, our, our own on the plane. So I I still can't quite imagine what that would have been like, you know, because y- you have no concept of no, you know. I mean, maybe I'd seen a plane before, but probably not, you know. But just on on there with your sister, just little yeah. kids. I mean, I mean, we had we had you know You're air being, hostess yeah, looking course, after yeah. us and stuff like that, but you know. And and I suppose at that age you don't even think of what you're going to, you know, because no. it's it's like and and you know if you think well I've got to get on a plane, you think well, um, okay, so I get on the plane, then I go out the back door, and then I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, know I, mean? I know what you mean. But you kind of live in the moment, don't yeah, you? It just it just yeah, is. Yeah, whatever it is. And apparently, and again, I said it in the plane. Sorry, I keep saying this. Um, <laughs> um, Oh, when we got to Heathrow, my um, I just walked straight by, past my parents. My mum said, "Well, you know, I she always thought she always wondered whether it was because I'd forgotten what they looked like, yeah, or um, I was angry with them. You snubbing them, yeah, <laughs> because I I would think I knew what they looked like because I'm sure my grandparents would have shown them photographs. Yeah, I would have thought I mean? so. Yeah." So, but then again, also, a live person is kind of different from... Yeah, you maybe had one or two photographs that you were used to seeing. Wow, look, I can't wait to see the show. I'm so excited for tonight. Well, I hope I remember it. Ah, you'll remember (laughs) it. We can all... We'll shout out. (laughs) Everyone shout out from home. Well, you know it now. (laughs) That's it. No, brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to me, Annie. Can't wait to see the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. The wonderful Annie George, and I'm sure you'll agree, like I said at the beginning, great voice, joy to listen to, um, and a lovely storyteller. And I hope that you found that this podcast uh, worked as a nice little accompaniment to seeing her show last night. And if you didn't catch the show, then you've just got a wee insight into it. So remember, if you're not coming to see a particular show for whatever reason, maybe you're busy or something else, um, still jump on and listen to the podcast because not only will you get an insight into the show that you might have missed, but also you get some information about what's coming up next. And I get a sense that there might be a few surprises along the way. That's all I'll say about that. But uh, bear in mind that if you want to know what's coming up, and it might not all be listed, then this would be the place to be to find out about it. You might also want to keep in touch with the festival. Of course you do. You go to Sheddenborough Fest on Twitter and Instagram. And that's where you can find out all the information about the shows that are coming up and a wee bit of behind the scenes as well. See the performers getting set up in that magical shed that's just through the wall from me right now. It's all happening. It's dead exciting. And remember to catch up with me on Twitter and Instagram. It's Pod. Give us a follow and do us a favour. Give us a wee share. 
And uh, even better than that, on your podcast platform, go right now and click subscribe and give us a wee review, even just the five stars, um, if you don't want to do a written review, but it all makes a difference. So please consider doing that. Go to your podcast provider, subscribe, like, and also share this podcast. Let people know you're listening to it and let people know you're involved with the Shedinburgh Fringe Festival. So there you have it. That's all from me today. Join me again at the same time tomorrow, 12pm. There's going to be an interview with James Rowland on his show Team Viking. And remember, you can see that tonight at 7.30pm. And if you want to get tickets, the tickets are only available till about 3.30, 4 o'clock today. Go to shedinburgh.com and look for the tickets button. Uh, there's a limited number. And as I say, these performances are only shown once. You can't pause, you can't rewind and you cannot download. So get in there while they're still available and enjoy the show. Thanks very much for listening. Cheerio now.